0: Welcome back to Life in Pictures Podcast. We are here today to talk about Psycho 3 as we continue our Psycho
1: series. Psycho 3. This movie, Anthony Perkins takes over the directing and he gets kind of weird with it.
0: Yeah, I would say so. This is, I don't really have a lot to add on this one, I think, because I don't really care for this movie. Um... And when Travis wanted to do another rewatch, I declined because I don't I just didn't want to. Um, First, I think the most important thing for us to do is to thank everyone who has listened so far to our first two episodes. I mean, we may be even up to like 10 plays by now.
1: I think we have nine on uh, episode (coughs) one and three on episode two. So, I mean, it's better than zero. I will take it.
0: Yes, and please reach out on socials. We're going to try and be a little bit more active, maybe coming up with some different um, polls and things like that. If you have suggestions or requests, questions, comments telling us we're wrong, we love it. Please like interact with us and spread the word. If you know people that like movies, um, send them our way. If you're not a big horror fan, that's okay, because we are almost done with this series. Thank God. Um, and I feel like I get to pick what's next.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to let everybody know that we're not only going to take a, talk about psycho movies in perpetuity. Uh, however, this one, I feel like you can't really just do one of these movies and call it a day. Um, so this, there's this movie, there's one more... And then there's sort of a, maybe we'll do an episode combining a few of the other ones because then there's the remake from 98 and then there's the TV movie Bates Motel and there's this TV show Bates Motel and I feel like you'll probably be tired of hearing about the saga of Norman Bates if we did a separate episode for all of those things. And plus, um, you know, there's a lot of other movies we want to cover and stuff too, so... Hang in there.
0: <laughs> um, but speaking of horror, um, if you are a big fan of Stranger Things on Netflix, season four dropped um, last week uh, on May 27th, the first part of the season. And um, it's interesting because spoilers, spoilers ahead. If you've not seen it and you want to see it, don't listen. Um I kind of feel like this season is definitely like very dark in tone and um, a lot gorier, scarier. And from the onset, I, I saw so many um, similarities to um, A Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Yes, and that's also interesting because Robert England is in this season of Stranger Things, and as you should know, he played Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so...
0: So I don't want to give too much away, but I just did want to say um, it's very good. Uh, and then I think we have to wait until like July or something to get the end of it. But um, we have one more episode to go, which I'm going to make Travis watch with me today. Um, but speaking of spoilers, obviously this podcast is full of them there's one
1: thing we would like you to know about this episode and all future episodes there will definitely be spoilers we are going to talk about these things assuming that you've already seen them so if you have not seen them and you care about it being spoiled go watch whatever it is first
0: and then come back and listen to us yes yes for sure
1: and don't forget to interact with us on the aforementioned social platform
0: yeah and if you're if you have not seen Psycho 3, and you are just really jonesing to see it. There are several ways to watch this movie, Travis. How can they watch the there movie? There
1: are. I've tried to make some improvements as we go along with our format, and the last episode I thought it would be great to tell you where you can watch some of these movies. Uh, this time I took it a step further and did a little bit more research on this. So Psycho 3 is available to rent instantly on Amazon and Google Play. If you rent it on Google Play, you can also watch it in YouTube. excuse me they're uh, $3.99 to rent and they're $14.99 to buy digitally or if you're so inclined you can do what I did several times and buy the box set of blu-rays on Amazon which comes with Psycho 1, 2, 3, 4, the 98 remake, the Bates Motel TV movie and the Psycho Legacy I believe is also included which is a great um, documentary about uh the making of of all of the films really so uh if you have enjoyed these episodes so far and you want to know more that's that's a great deal in my opinion 26 bucks so uh check it out
0: so once you do that come back and listen um and maybe you'll you'll agree with me on social that this is not the greatest movie of all time
1: well on that note we're going to jump into discussing the movie and i will say that it probably has its pros and cons, just like any movie. Um, Anthony Perkins, this was his debut uh, as a director. Um, and I thought that it's a little bit of a departure from some of the other films. He didn't write it, though, right? He didn't write it. Okay. Um, it's a little more artsy in some respects. Uh, there were definitely points in the movie where it sort of felt like He was trying too hard to play Norman Bates. But, you know, I was re-watching it a little bit today. And then I also realized there were also parts of the movie where I thought he did a pretty good job as Norman Bates. I mean, honestly, like, who, who do you really have to compare him to? Like, But, uh... Anyway. This movie, it starts out... Uh... With a woman screaming, there is no God. And... It opens up with a nun who is standing at the top of a bell tower in a church, um, getting ready to jump to kill herself. And she's clearly uh, at odds with her faith, and uh, the, the other nuns are going up there to try to save her. She inadvertently bumps into one of them, they fall down the bell tower and die. She's caused the death of this nun. Obviously, that's a terrible thing. So she gets kicked out of the convent. Or I guess it's implied. I don't know if they actually show her getting kicked out of the convent. I feel
0: convent, like she but, runs away. But,
1: yeah, clearly, like, that's not... She's, she wasn't going to stick around after that. Um, so it was interesting because it started out kind of similar to the original, where you have a female protagonist... Uh, who she's done something bad and now she's running away from it um,
0: And her name in the movie is Maureen Coyle which is MC Marion Crane's initials as well
1: yes and she bears a striking resemblance to Marion Crane now she's played by Diana Scarwood who um, in this movie has a pretty pretty decent resemblance to Janet Lee in the original psycho Uh, which comes into play later in the movie um so like we were saying she uh decides she's gonna leave and she is a nun so she doesn't really have like a car or anything so she hitchhikes um she's out in the desert by herself she hitchhikes who should come along to pick her up But Dwayne Duke, who is played by Jeff Fahey, and he is on his way to California to be a rock and roll star. As you do. So he stops and picks her up, has some small talk, you know, he puts on this kind of nice guy act. And to be fair, he's not like a terrible guy, but he's not as nice as he's trying to portray himself. He's a creeper. You know, uh... And so anyway, you know, they drive and they make small talk. And um, then later on, it starts raining real bad overnight. And so he stops the car and says, we're not driving any further. It's raining too bad. So they try to get some sleep. He wakes her up in the middle of the night. He tries to make a move on her. She declines. And she gets out of the car.
0: And he persists.
1: He persists, yeah. But, you know, he, he tries to... I was gonna say like he kicked her out of the car, but she actually got out of the car on her own of her own decision. He told her to get back in the car. It could be because he wanted to try to assault her. It could be because he was like, I'm sorry, get back in the car, I don't want you to be out in there alone. However whatever maybe, maybe
0: what, she didn't want to be me too
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not questioning her decision. I'm just saying what happened in the movie. Um However, once that decision was made and once it was clear she wasn't getting back in the car, he just he threw the suitcase out and said, Well, whatever, tough for you. He he said something else that is depending on who's listening to this, might not you might want to just watch the movie and see it yourself.
0: This guy uh-uh. is a real jerk.
1: But uh anyway, does it doesn't start out on a good note for uh for old Dwayne Duke and uh Maureen. So After that sets the tone and introduces some of the characters, then we kind of switch gears and we return to the Bates Motel.
0: This is about one month after the second movie takes place, where Norman has kind of just returned to his normal life of running the motel and talking to mother. And um, as you may remember, at the end of the second movie, um, he murders mrs spool yes who claims that she was really his mother so um we see him at the hotel and he's poisoning some birds so he can collect them and stuff them because you know that's what you do um and lo and behold our friend duke finds himself at the bates motel where he answers a help wanted sign because he's trying to earn money to make his way to california
1: yeah, before he does that though, they kind of still set up the tone of Norman being not quite normal. Uh, you you don't really know at first that he's poisoning the birds. You see the birds kind of. Fl- the first, they pan over the property and they show that it's kind of deserted. Uh, and I thought this was really cool because they had they kind of showed how it was recent to the second film because you could see on the cellar window where there were still the trails from the finger dragging down when that kid got murdered in the basement and you could see mary's book that she was reading in the uh, second one it's on the ground and then you see some birds flying around this bird feeder and everything looks kind of calm and peaceful and then all of a sudden you see these birds just drop to the ground and then you see norman come out and pick them up and put them in a bag and you say oh okay he's poisoned them that's that's what's happening here and then they show him stuffing them and he's you know putting the sawdust in the birds and the chemicals and stuff and then he takes the spoon and he spreads peanut butter on a cracker with it and the same
0: spoon that he was stuffing the birds
1: so they really set the tone there um anyway just kind of setting a scene but yeah then eventually uh you know you see How the motel is sort of run down and how he's still continuing his efforts from the second film to restore it to its former glory, so to speak. And as part of that, he has a help wanted sign in the window of the office. And so Duke finds himself at the Bates Motel and goes to apply for this job. And Norman hires him on the spot because it's not like he's got a whole lot of applicants to contend with. So... Now we've got a new employee of the Bates Motel.
0: So then we make our way to the diner um, where Norman used to work, Statler's Cafe. And Maureen has just arrived there.
1: Yeah, well, actually, so I kind of messed up the chronology a little bit of these. What actually happens is you're at the... um, They show the diner, which is Statler's Cafe, where he worked in the second one. And then the sheriff and... Uh, ralph are having a conversation they kind of show the article about how mrs spool is missing and they're talking about oh i hope nothing bad happened to her and uh then there's a a reporter there that kind of interjects herself and says and wants to know about norman bates and they kind of say hey you need to leave norman bates alone he's paid his price you know he's a good guy he just wants to live in peace blah 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 Well, then all of a sudden Norman shows up for lunch and that kind of sets a, a tone of, you know, being on edge and the reporter goes to talk to him and, uh, the sheriff says, I don't want any trouble. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to talk to him anyway. And, uh, so while she's at first, Norman's kind of apprehensive. He's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to say anything about this. And then, uh, he eventually kind of starts to answer some of her questions when in the middle of that we see a truck pull up in the background and uh, Maureen steps out carrying her luggage and she comes into the diner and uh, Norman Bates notices right away that she has a resemblance to Marion Crane and notices the MC initials on her um, luggage And that sets him on edge and he decides to try to make it out of there quickly. Um, Well, so on his way out, we hear um, Maureen asking if anybody has recommendations for an inexpensive place to stay the night. And of course, Norman's really trying to hurry up then because he doesn't want her to stay with him because he's,
0: He's cuckoo cachoo, and he's going to kill her. Yeah,
1: I think underneath it all, though, it's still sort of the same thing where it's like Norman is a good guy. He doesn't want to kill her. And he knows enough that if she shows up, he knows what's going to happen. So he's trying to get out of there before anything bad happens. That's kind of the struggle in all of these movies is, you know, which side of him are you going to get kind of thing. But anyways...
0: So, lo and behold, Maureen finds herself at the Bates Motel. And, to top it off, she's greeted by Duke, who now works there. So, you know, she's real thrilled. So, she kind of, you know, Norman kind of calms her down. And she realizes that Duke isn't that big of a threat. Um, And... You know, he's even befriended Norman a little bit, and I think that that kind of calms her down. Um, so she checks into her room, and she gets in the bathtub, and she... Yeah.
1: Which, which by the way, Duke gives her cabin one, obviously not knowing right what's going on there. And also kind of funny, to, just to tell you a little bit about Duke, he charges her the rate for the double room instead of the single. And pockets. And pockets because you know
0: he's a real guy, a real nice guy, real nice guy. Um, so Maureen attempts suicide, and at this point in time, Norman and Mother are struggling about her, um, and uh, Mother arrives to kill her, but Norman finds her in this state and saves her life.
1: Yeah. So Nor- yeah, Norman shows up fully in the dress with the wig and the knife and everything. And he pulls back the curtain, and then he sees her with her arms cut, you know, bleeding out, mm-hmm. and then he saves her. And she hallucinates that it's the Virgin Mary coming to save her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of show, that kind of, it, it's another one of those classic, you know what's going to happen moments where you're like maybe he's not as bad of a guy as they want us to think he is you know after all he saved this girl and all and everything and they kind of start to have a relationship um and as um as things progress The same old kind of stuff happens. People start dying, you know, people start snooping around, asking questions and whatnot. Uh, Eventually, Dwayne Duke figures out who Norman is and what he's hiding. Um, And uh, also what happens is after um, a group of people stay at the hotel one night partying, They all leave, and the next day they realize one of them is missing. So the cops come to pay a visit to find out what's going on. And, of course, Norman is freaked out because he knows what happened to that person. And, uh, you know, he's like, I don't want you guys in my house. I haven't done anything. You're not supposed to be here. And, of course, they tell him, we have a warrant. We're going to go check. And they go up to Mother's room, and he's freaking out. And when they get in there, everything, there's nothing in there. You know, because he knows, like... The corpse of Emma Spool is sitting in the window. So he's flipping out when they get there, nothing's there and he's so they leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Well, what had happened was Duke had moved the corpse to one of the cabins and then he wrote a note to Norman saying come visit me. And so
0: Nice guy. Nice guy.
1: Once he arrives there,
0: So basically, Norman gets there and Duke tries to extort Norman because, you know, Norman's so rich and everything. Um, So Norman ends up beating him up with his guitar and he puts him in the trunk of the car and he drives his body to the swamp. But he's not dead when they get to the swamp, so they fight again. But ultimately, Duke drowns and he's rid of that problem
1: i feel like we should also explain something like when he beat him with the guitar that that's like a sore spot for him the whole movie his whole thing is watch my guitar don't touch my guitar i'm gonna be a rock and roll star you know you can't touch it you can't look at it Mm, i know someone like that and so norman beats him to death with it (laughs) (laughs) uh which is interesting um
0: so then maureen wants to be with norman And they share this moment at the top of the stairs. Yeah, she
1: sort of realizes that, like, oh, I'm falling in love with him. He's the one for me. He's kind of the opposite, where he's the way that he's been the whole time, where he he has feelings for her, too, but he also knows that he can't get too close to her because he will kill her because he's crazy, and he knows that. Um, So she goes up to the house to try to talk to him. And she says, you know, I know you've had a bad past, but you can also be good. You saved me. Let's be together. They have this moment at the top of the stairs where he's holding her hands. And then he hears Mother's voice and he lets go. And that sends her falling down the stairs to her death, which was also very similar to the way that Arbogast fell down the stairs in the first movie.
0: Right. Um, so then we have that reporter again, Tracy, and she keeps snooping around and she kind of puts the pieces together and she figures out, um, Norman's secrets. Yeah. And Norman is then ordered by mother to kill her, but instead he.
1: Yeah. So I thought this was interesting because this was really like the first movie that we ever saw. Anthony Perkins dressed up as mother and talking in her voice and um at this scene the mother, you know, orders him to kill Tracy. And it looks like he's going to do it, but then what he actually does is he stabs the corpse of Emma Spool over and over again, and, you know, saying that, you know, I I can be my own person. You don't have control over me. Uh I have the guts now cuz she would always say you don't have the guts, boy. Um, and so obviously once that happened, Tracy, uh, knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that Norman is responsible for the recent, uh, wave of trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they don't actually, this is another one saying they don't actually show her like calling the cops or anything, but it's implied that she has, uh, alerted the proper authorities because the next scene is Norman being arrested and taken away. Um, and he says, uh, you know, I think the sheriff says to him, like, do you know how well they're never going to let you out for this? And he says, that's fine with me. Cause I'll finally be free. Um, and, and they show him writing in the back of the car and he has an interesting souvenir.
0: Yeah. So he's got mother's hand that he's holding on to as a souvenir and he stares into the camera as the movie ends it's
1: very similar to the ending of psycho Mm one so that's it in a nutshell obviously there's more to the story than that i didn't we didn't want to spoil every single plot line of the movie or discuss every single plot line of the movie because we felt like we did that in the first episode and it kind of just bogs down the uh the episode or at least in our opinion may if you don't feel that way if you'd like to hear us discuss more details of movies from now on let us know hit us up on our socials uh something we're going to try to tweak as we go along and eventually we'll sort of hit the groove i guess Um, Mm
0: -hmm. so now we're going to talk a little bit about the making of the movie so psycho 3 was released in 1986 um and, like we said, it takes place about a month after the events that took place in psycho two yes, nineteen eighty
1: two um, they they tried their best to recreate uh the set of uh the Bates motel and the mansion and everything. They had most of the same furniture and props, paintings. And for everything that they didn't have, they made copies of. Um, so they, they did a pretty good job of getting it all back together and making it look like it should, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So they had Hilton Green as the producer in the film. He had already worked on the other two films. He was the first assistant director a- in the first film and then the line producer in the second film. Um, he served as executive producer and line producer on the third film.
1: Yes, Uh, And that came from a uh, video that I found where they had done some interviews with Anthony Perkins and Hilton Green himself uh, about the making of the film. Um, I noticed uh, in some of the previous episodes, which has only been two, so it was probably the, the second episode, where there were a few times where I'd state facts and I'd say, well, you know, I know that this happened, but I can't really remember where I know this from or... Or some of them are like, I don't even know if this is actually true. I just remember reading it. So I've tried to, to start marking down sources when I do my research now. Um, just so I can feel a little better that I'm not spreading misinformation out there. Um, uh, some of the other research that I did. Uh, so as far as how financially successful this movie was. Um, it had an $8.4 million budget. And it made a $14.4 million profit, which is... A profit is a profit, however, it is the lowest grossing of the series. But for the record, it still made a profit, unlike probably the worst part of this series, the 1998 remake. Hmm. And just for fun, I did some calculations here, so...
0: So $8.4 million in 1986 would be roughly equivalent to $12.5 million in 1998. $14.4 million in 1986 would be roughly equivalent to 24 point, or I'm sorry, $21.4 million in 1998. But again, the remake did not turn a profit.
1: Yes. Uh, so Psycho 3 made roughly a $10 million profit versus what it cost to make. Uh, and this is according to BoxOfficeMojo.com, uh, and the inflation numbers are according to USInflationCalculator.com. Um uh, So assuming that they are correct, which I'm sure their calculations are a lot more accurate than mine would have been, uh, Psycho, the 1998 remake... Lost over 20 million dollars versus the budget that they had to make it, which was 60 million, and because it only made 37 million worldwide, and that made me feel good to know that because I feel like they really kind of screwed up this whole series. Um, anyways, uh, so
0: some of the movies that came out around the same time, uh, were Karate Kid 2, which came out in June of 86. Yep. Top Gun in May of 86. Alien in Aliens. Aliens. The sequel. Sorry. Sequels. It was a sequel time. Yes. In July of 86. Ferris Bueller's Day Off in June of 86. And then Psycho 3 was released on July 2nd, 1986.
1: Yes. So it had some stiff competition. That could have had a little bit to do with you know, why it didn't, maybe it didn't do as well as it could have, uh, you know, and then also it's, I don't know. I'm not really I was only four years old in 1986, so I'm not really sure what the culture was like as far as, uh, the, the target audience for this film. But, um, I also know there was a Friday the 13th movie that came out that year. Uh, I don't think it came out like, That much around the time of this one, so that probably didn't have much to do with it. But
0: speaking of Top Gun, the sequel to that movie was just released, Maverick, in 2022. So
1: yep, so that's still going strong. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't know how they would make a new. I know I actually have some ideas for how they could make a new Psycho movie, but obviously not with Anthony Perkins because. That right but there
0: definitely was uh some things in psycho 4 that left it open to
1: absolutely a whole yeah. new they could do it they'd have to make sure they do it right I, it, hopefully it wouldn't be anything like that stupid remake they made I, as you can tell when we get to that remake there's not going to be a lot of kind words said for that uh i'll save that for another time but
0: so some some facts that we have uh gathered here anthony perkins was diagnosed as hiv positive during the filming of psycho 3 um he found out just during a routine checkup and then he would succumb to aids in uh, 1992
1: yeah that's a heck of a thing to find out just from going to your regular checkup um but yeah that's that's when he was diagnosed for better or for worse um this was his directorial debut, and uh, that kind of makes it sound like he went on to become some like prolific director or something, but as far as I could tell, there was only one other film that he directed, and that was a film in nineteen ninety or 1988, which was called Lucky Stiff, and uh, this is just purely from reading the IMDb page, because I didn't know that was a movie until earlier today. But apparently that movie was about a guy who was left at the altar by his fiancée and he's kind of down on his luck and then it looks like maybe things are looking up for him when he gets invited to Christmas dinner by a beautiful woman only to discover that her and her family are cannibals and they intended for him to be the dinner as opposed to joining them to eat dinner. So... Interesting. I don't know. Maybe that could be a good movie. Maybe Maybe I'll check it out one of these days. But apparently that was the last movie that he directed. So... I kind of got the impression from things that I've read and clips that I've seen of him that uh, he preferred acting to directing anyway.
0: So back in the day, Siskel and Ebert were like the way to, you know, before Rotten Tomatoes, they were the way to know if a movie was good. And you were looking for a thumbs up from both of them.
1: Or two thumbs up was the best you could get. Two thumbs up. Yeah.
0: Uh, So, Ebert gave it a thumbs up, but Siskel gave it a thumbs down.
1: Yeah, Ebert said that he thought Anthony Perkins did a good job directing it, and that obviously Perkins knows the character of Norman Bates like no one else. And Siskel apparently was not a fan of the violence in the movie, so those were their respective opinions overall.
0: And I think that we're probably similar, you like all of the Psycho movies, like, for you, Psycho can do no wrong. I, I don't like this
1: movie. So. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if I would say it can do no wrong. I mean, there's definitely parts of it that, you know, there's some that are better than others. But uh, yeah, overall, I think the series is is good for a variety of reasons. Um, I thought, you know, speaking of a variety of reasons, uh, something that I've kind of noticed in retrospect over the years looking at these movies is that they tend to have several scenes in them that are kind of humorous and I was never really sure if that was like intentional or or if it was just a coincidence um, but I saw a clip of Anthony Perkins today saying that uh, originally audience audiences found humor in the original psycho and it was a little bit concerning to Hitchcock uh, but they ultimately uh kind of were able to toe that line and that they um they tried to keep incorporating that into the sequels to where it's not like blatant slapstick comedy or anything but like there's there is a little element of humor in all of the sequels and i can definitely see it i thought that was interesting to see him acknowledge that uh and i saw him acknowledge that in an interview that he did with bob costas which was actually to promote psycho four um but it, uh, it pertains to all of these sequels. So, hmm. so I thought that was cool to, to learn that. Um, so
0: so let's, let's find out. Travis, what is your favorite scene of this movie?
1: Yeah, so I guess I'm going to just talk in this section because you don't have any input at all. No favorite scenes <laughs> or criticisms, apparently.
0: Uh, I... I I guess, okay, before you start, I guess, um, why, why the whole, like, convent thing? And, and why was she, I, I don't think they ever really explained, like, why she wanted to kill herself.
1: I think she was just kind of struggling with her faith just you know okay but
0: that i mean like that's to to jump off a building that's like a yeah i
1: mean i don't know if there was any like one specific event that they point to but
0: anyway i i just it just felt like maybe they were just trying to keep it going and I, I, i don't know i just felt like it wasn't the greatest movie
1: it's also interesting in that scene, kind of the parallels to Vertigo. Like, but
0: I really like the fourth
1: one. Yeah, the fourth a one lot. is good. Yeah.
0: So, um, this one for me just isn't it. So, anyway.
1: Well, I can see that. I mean, there are definitely parts... It's a very 80s movie, first of all. Like, you see some of these things and, it's, you know, it's very like, okay, at the time, like I said, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the slasher films were... See, I say this like like I have some kind of firsthand knowledge. Again, I was four years old in 1986. So, from what I can gather. You were two. I was two years old in 1986. <laughs> oh my
0: God! How do you. Oh my God.
1: I don't know how old I am. <laughs> how do you...
0: Okay, I can't. Anyway, get... oh. I was very young.
1: I was very he young is in not 1986. Good at math, clearly. I was not of the age that I was going to go to a movie theater and watch A Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. That's, that's the point I'm trying to get across here. Um, which is also the point I'm trying to get across about that inflation calculator. Trust me, you don't want my projections. That is definitely more accurate than anything I would have come Holy up with. Holy moly, That is man. beyond the point. Um, but, you know, it's a very 80s movie. It's a very kind of like some of those things you can tell are kind of catering to that. This is what's popular right now. And, like, there's, like, the... You know, I, like, there's a few little parts of nudity and stuff in the film that maybe they don't necessarily need to be in there. To Like, I mean, you wouldn't have seen that, obviously, in the 60s. I think because, number one, because I don't think that it would have been necessary for the story. Obviously, number two, because the censors would never let that fly back then, you know. Um, so that, you know, some of those things, there, some of the criticisms I've seen are, are valid criticisms. And But I think once you kind of get down to the core of the story, and the continuation of these characters and everything. It's not, it's not as bad as you might interpret it to be the first time you watch it. I think you might need to see it a few times in context with the other ones to fully appreciate it. Um, that being said, some of the things that I liked about this movie, uh, I liked in the beginning, kind of like I was saying when they were showing when you see the motel again for the first time and you see it kind of deserted and you just sort of see Norman is still out there living by himself, still doing his thing. You know, he's got his a corpse in his bedroom and he's operating a motel and nobody's none the wiser, you know. And I, there's something about that that's just, you know, fascinating to me and, and probably not just me, but to think that, like, you know, that kind of thing... How much of that actually happens in real life? I mean, probably not to that extent where someone has a corpse in their room, hopefully. But just, you know, so many things in life seem normal on the surface. And, the, and there could be like a totally different thing happening behind the scenes that you have no idea about. Um, it's cool to get that kind of glimpse behind the curtain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um and I liked the intertwining of the stories like where, you know, there was a callback to Maureen reminding him of Marion and her death being similar to Arbogast. And like I said before, seeing him dressed as mother and talking in her voice for the first time and really the only time. I don't think that he ever did that again. And like, I don't think he did that in the fourth movie. Um, and there's, you know, there's still some of those moments like I was talking about last time where he kind of you know there's kind of a wink at the audience like when when uh tracy's questioning him in the diner and she says something about you know he's kind of looking off to the side and she says well what you know emma spool disappeared or something and then all of a sudden he gets this panicked look on his face you know because he knows what happened to her but she doesn't you know and you're kind of in on the secret um and that's another example of one of those little bits of humor that he was talking about i think uh, which was pretty cool. Um, uh, there's another scene in this mo- in this movie that we didn't really talk about, but the, the person that got murdered that had the cops, that was missing the next day when the group of people uh, had left and sent the cops to go check on her. Uh, Norman murdered her, obviously, and put her in the ice machine. Um, and then there's a scene where the sheriff comes out it might have been when they were investigating didn't find anything and he's eating the ice Ice out of the machine machine. and he you see some of the blood in the ice and you see the girl and he's so close to grabbing the ice cubes with the blood on it and it's so like it's such a tense moment of like is he gonna realize what's happening here and of course he doesn't and an interesting behind the scenes uh information about that is that they actually put that actress uh cat shay they put her in the ice for it was real ice in there Mm. like and so she's like turning blue in the movie it's not makeup like she's actually turning blue because she's in she's in a tub of ice for like you know however long they had to keep shooting this scene um so that was interesting um and you know another callback where duke gives maureen cabin one and you know obviously when norman finds out he's like why would you do that what's going on here and um, I, I thought it was really cool that Anthony Perkins directed it because I think I just think it was nice to get his perspective on how the story should be told and you know, obviously this character was such a big part of his career that it was cool that he had some say over it this time. I mean, I know he didn't write it, but he obviously had a lot of power to make choices on how that story was told. And I feel like that's probably something that um, a lot of people would be curious to know, like, if he was going to make one of these movies, how would he make it? And now we know. So, mm-hmm. that's kind of neat. And I guess that's really pretty much everything that we had to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say.
0: <laughs> so, next episode, we're going to talk about Psycho 4, the beginning, which is actually the end. Yeah. Um... I really like that one, so I'll have a lot more to say about it. Uh, Please find us on social media, on Facebook and YouTube. We are Life in Pictures Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Life in Pics Pod. Like and subscribe. We're on all the major platforms. If you could rate and review us on Apple, that would really get us out to more people. Um, And tell us, you know, please reach out to us and let us know, like, what movies do you want us to cover? Are you tired of hearing about Psycho also? Um, <laughs> what what should we talk about next? What genres are you really looking forward to hearing about? Um, if you have a different take on Psycho 3. Uh, if it's the greatest movie of all time and I got it wrong, just let, let us know.
1: And like I said, we got one more to talk about. So it, it, the end is near. But uh, you you you, can't, you gotta you gotta do all of these movies to really do it justice. You can't really just take one movie out of a set and just. I, I don't want to do that. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's Psycho three, three down, one to go, and then one remake and some TV type stuff that probably will be a composite or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, and we might take a a break before.
1: The main story will be done after the next yeah. episode yeah so.
0: um there's some other things we have ideas we have brewing
1: maybe we'll circle back to the remake
0: mm-hmm. okay well have a wonderful week and keep your life in pictures
1: yeah we need some kind of sign off if you have a suggestion for a sign off tweet it at us All right, well, that's it, I guess. Goodbye.